2: Here's a message from Friends of the Show.
1: Hi, I'm Conan Liberian, and I don't have a podcast. I do, however, like most of us, have the need for a place to store, organize, customize, and create my tabletop campaigns, thoughts, and ideas. That's why you should check out obsidianportal.com.
3: Customization that will match any need you have, a fantastic community, and an experience in and of itself that will get your players engaged, not just during the session
1: obsidianportal.com. Your players don't just stay at the tavern. Why should your game just stay at the table? obsidianportal.com.
2: Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we have a really special show lined up for you guys today. We got some really special guests in studio today. Before we, before we go ahead and get into that though, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good to see you as always. It's rare. It's just like the old days, Luanika, recording in the middle of the day on a Sunday. What is, we, do not do, we do not do this when the sun is up very often. Now, how are things down in Connecticut?
1: Right, unless it's like noon. Yeah, exactly right? right yeah for the no, your things, folks in europe
0: things are great i had a great weekend a big work event yesterday a family fun day event that i'm on the committee for that so I helped run that got to run a bunch of games for the little kids help keep things a little organized and keep track of things stop the bounce house from rolling over with a bunch of kids in it <laughs> all kinds of good stuff because i too wish to be a hero for the ages so just like st- uh, stand uh, on the stakes make sure they
2: don't
0: yeah, so. yeah it was on concrete there really wasn't <laughs> there's was no stakes <laughs> it's just like chained to a fence and yeah but yeah so that was yesterday and today it was get up leisurely work on art for the upcoming project that's that we haven't fully announced i know we announced one project but there's another project that we're currently working on that we haven't fully announced yet so putting together some art for that looking trying to Coalesce an art style for that project was bit most of my day. Meanwhile, listening to various podcasts and things like that, including our t- tonight's guest, and of course, always on the weekends when they're released, uh, our sister podcast from across the pond, Danilo, and Thinking Critically, and always, always great, get to great his episode latest this episodes this week too. Yeah, really solid and actually goes very well with our guests because they've put a lot of time and effort and fun into Ravenloft. So Danilo's episode was about that and some nuances and techniques surrounding it. And I know that's been a big focus for tonight's guests and I can't wait to hear more from them. And I'm sure elements of that game, as it was such a big thing, will definitely come out. And I can't wait for more stories because I can never get enough
2: of that campaign. Before we introduce tonight's guests, Mr. Myers, let's play our favorite game. Where is Glenn tonight?
1: I have moved again, but I'm still nowhere exciting. I've gone from Virginia Beach... Back to Connecticut. <laughs> There's been a lot going on. We got the RV, and we're definitely off for our life of adventure. But right now, it's a short bounce back because we had to go to Virginia for Trisha's sister. And now we're back here to finish closing out the storage unit, selling off the last of the few things that we have of value so that we have money instead of stuff for them. <laughs> and then uh, towards the end of the summer, August, end of August-ish, we're headed across Canada towards Wisconsin. My wife wants to swim in all of the Great Lakes, so we're touring the Great Lakes on the way to see Colin and Abigail, our two adult kids who live in Green Bay nice that'd be yeah. fun yeah but that's the last couple of weeks getting get ready to move up everybody. here has been been a little crazy moving yeah. is always nuts but moving sure. through the the smoke from the forest fires that have been going on the mountains in pennsylvania right. up at elevation were crazy I can uh, not quite as bad as new york city but like we're driving through snow flurries of ash on yeah. the regular as we're driving it, through the mountains it it's was
2: nuts. It somehow missed us in maine it's very strange it like like the fires are in Quebec, and like we've seen pictures from New York Andover, City, and Nova Scotia, just kind of, like, just kind of like, went around us. Didn't even like it. You went overuse over like, what no. happened.
0: It didn't so much just yeah. go around you. Uh, it was yeah. high up and then came down yeah. as it got lower. Like we had yeah. days here in Connecticut that were bad. Some people very sensitive to it. And we was outside. We had sure. uh, two days where there was recess closures in elementary school. That kind of
1: thing. Yeah, lots of places right. were closing up for yeah. outside yeah. stuff. It, it, but around all that, I still yeah. managed to finish the final pre-edits for the Oath of the Bright Blades for our Dragonlance publication that's coming
0: out a little bit later this year. So the secret (laughs) publication has now been announced.
1: Just let the cat out of the bag.
2: It's not even that early. We'll talk more about our Dragonlance book in a little bit here, (laughs) but I think that we should go ahead and introduce tonight's guest and get tonight's show rolling on here. So we have got longtime inspirations for Lewinika. Lewinika has been talking about the fine gentleman that we have on the show this evening, pretty much since we started doing a podcast, in fact. And so we are really excited to have three wise DMs on with us tonight. So let me go ahead and go down the list here. Chris, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Nice to see you. And Tony, thank you for coming on. Also, all right, and I hope I get this one right. So it's Dave the Rock and Roll DM, am I right?
4: Ooh, that's close <laughs> enough. I go by most things, but I what I go by tonight is he roller coaster. He got. Early morning, he got
0: muddy water. He won Mojo Filter. He
4: said one and one and one is three. Got to be good looking because he's so hard to see. Come, Come together, together
0: right,
4: right now. Over me. over me oh boom,
1: ah. yeah <laughs> dude. Bart, sorry for bogarting in on the chorus my bad
4: no I was hoping no, that it, it would, would inspire everybody to just start <laughs> going like yeah dude now, yeah. like I said now I'm an, an academic musician our our I don't actually
2: say that's you
4: know, but man, no singing he, I, with all your music background, Josh? Uh, he sings. I was a low brass he player, That He lies.
2: No,
1: He'll play the instruments behind you. It's okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. Many a night he, he was, all- was my backup singing Linkin Park. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I've seen him do karaoke, so he is lying.
2: Okay. Now, I used to be able to do the high parts whenever we sang, six, sang sticks also, but – <clears throat> that ship has sailed about ten years ago. Yeah, but you go, that's tough to do over the internet to go ahead and stay as synchronized as you guys were. So nice job on that.
4: Yeah, all the, all the, <laughs> the, the cuts and stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay, so oh, now, now kinda,
2: I'll fix it in post. Yeah.
4: I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wanna I wanna like scuttle but the whole idea of the episode. I just want to talk about Dragonlance now. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that this was a possibility. I didn't realize I, I wasn't yeah, yeah. told.
2: Yeah, we well, uh, you all right, here. since since we've opened the can here, yeah, might as well. So so obviously- they're getting
0: ready to do, or they've yeah. actually started doing some Dragonlance stuff based on the latest campaign book that came yeah, out. Yeah, we're running oh, nice. uh, yeah. the Shadow of the
4: Dragon Queen, yeah. 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 Nice. nice.
0: Oh, how and,
4: is it? Uh, I love it. It's my favorite. Out of, like, the published 5e stuff, it's my favorite so far. I think they really? finally, like, really threaded the needle on this one. Yeah, right. In terms of a lot of things. Adventure hook, character involvement, story, yeah. all of that.
1: Yeah, Our uh, Dragonlance yeah, publication ahead. won't be anything crazy. It's yeah. not going to be anything giant. It is three subclasses that we originally wrote to go on our subclasses of the multiverse book that we had to pull because obviously we couldn't put Dragonlance material out on Kickstarter. Yeah, sure, um, sure. So we're like, Dragonlance <laughs> is coming. So our plan is to try to release about the time the next book comes out. Like an yeah, Oath of yes. the Bright Blade for the Paladin. That's awesome. Yeah, Oath yeah. of the Bright Blade Paladin, Way of the Three Moons Monk, and Path of the Three Eyes Barbarian.
0: We actually cool. had the pleasure of doing some freelance work on a Dragonlance publication that came out at the same time we did. as the as the WotC product last year. We did one of the two adventures,
4: first tier adventure,
2: so the, the Dragonlance yeah. Companion by Splinterverse Media. Yeah.
4: Yep, there you I go. I have seen a lot of th- third-party stuff coming out right now and it's exciting.
2: In addition to the fact we're on it, I highly
0: recommend that there's some really good material there, some of the items, some of the spells, a lot of the flavor is really strong. Uh, our Tier 1 adventure I thought was was really good. And again, a little patting my, ourselves on the back on that, but it was just fun. Like I literally wrote the kind of adventure that I wanted to play in. When we started putting together some of those encounters, I'm like, this is going to be a fun adventure to play like i want to be in this situation i want to have characters in this situation and i think on some level if you're in the content creation business and you're not writing something that you feel that way about you probably need to hand that job off to somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you are not so inspired to want to play it, then there's probably a problem with what you're writing. So I would hope that most people feel that about their work. I know I was really excited about this project, the NPCs, the characters, and just thinking about the way different characters could interact and characters I played in the past, what would they do in this situation. Learned a whole lot, too. It was our first full adventure.
1: It was also our first collaboration with a full-on publisher, because Jimmy's yeah. been in the publication business for a long time, and now he's doing his own thing. And we learned a lot about organizing our
3: process
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> as we worked with Jimmy as well.
0: That's
1: also
3: awesome. a very rich world of lore there to work with, too, which helps yes. to be able to create on top of it. You don't have to start from scratch. You can really start to shine things up there.
0: And on the heels of the Dragons of Destiny, when that had come out last summer, which I immediately bought, was listening to on audiobook while we were working on this, it really informed the process. Like, I just felt... Kryn, I felt Ancelon. I felt yeah. when we were writing about the elements in our adventure when you are in Solas, it was around the time I was through the chapters where the characters were in Solas, and you had all the heroes of the lands that sort were of back in Solas and going and going through that process in the book. No spoilers. I felt I was there again, and that and I loved that feeling about it. So,
4: yeah, I had gone back and read through uh, Autumn Twilight and Spring Dawning just to get in the headspace again. The idea yeah. of it.
2: I did exactly the same thing like after after reading Dragons of Destiny I went back and I read like that original the seasons quadrology to go ahead and get yeah Chronicle. Yeah. Uh, and they were just as good as I remember too that was the coolest thing that about those books is that particularly Autumn's Twilight was just as good as I re- like as I remember it. And I was really worried because sometimes that happens media when you're like in your teens, right? And then you watch it again in like your 30s and you're like, oh my God. I, like, like, I, I always keep thinking about the movie Slapstick, which might be too old for all of y'all. Maybe not you, Chris, but like the movie Slapstick was <laughs> this old like hockey <laughs> movie from the early 80s. Yeah. I see you shaking your head. You, no, remember, I, you know, I, I, right? I, I, yeah. I remember it being awesome and I watched it I don't know, not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago or so. And it was like, this is crap. Why am I watching this? So
1: (laughs) I had the same (laughs) feeling about men at work.
3: (laughs) Um, (laughs) There were a few. There were a few. I still can watch the Arnold ones. though. The Arnold ones I can still watch. They're a little campy, but I can still watch them. Commando, just watch the director's cut. If you knew there was a director's cut of Commando, there is. And it actually adds more to the story. I felt like yeah. I was more involved there. Like when he's dropping Sully off the cliff there, I thought that really <laughs>
0: hurt. The hardest thing that I remember going back to watch that I absolutely loved as a kid was The Six Million Dollar Man. Like I, I love that show and I would probably still buy it simply out of my love and respect for Lee Majors and the fact that I wish <laughs> to God I still had my action figure so I could look behind his head and see through the eye and the whole bit. Oh, yeah. But I can tell you what, I when I went back to watch that show, I was like – this is terrible, terrible. <laughs> I don't even know how this got half the season, let alone the amount of seasons it got, other than it was a product of its time. It that really was. was the was. 70s like,
4: and 80s, like, that was very no, particular. No,
0: yeah, no show had backstory. I always thought that there was some great backstory to it, and if I ever got to go see the first episode, I would be thoroughly amazed. And what I realized is what the only backstory to that show is the actual opening, where they join yes. Crashing. That's the, <laughs> the whole backstory for awesome. the
1: whole show. Oh, god, yeah. yes. Dude got broke. Dude got rebuilt. <laughs>
3: Boop. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I've Done. You've been watching a million times, right? It's so awesome. Yeah. He's running fast. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Just the Next sound. thing you know, yeah. he's stuck in quicksand and fighting a Sasquatch. That's all I know. And I'm like, wow. <laughs>
2: Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's funny how sometimes the world is like the smallest place on ever, right? Because there was somebody earlier on was on Facebook or Instagram or something had posted the opening scene to the series, The Incredible Hulk. And mm. it basically yes. begins with Lou Ferrigno hitchhiking. There's no backstory to what happened to the character in The Incredible Hulk. That's not Hulk. Lou Ferrigno h-
1: hitchhiking. I mean, no. No, no. Not, no, Bix- Luf- no, no, you're right. That's Bill the David Banner actor. The yeah. Hulk does David not hitchhike. The Hulk picks up your car yeah. and throws it. I knew it was
2: movie. Lou Frigno. As soon as I said Lou Frigno, I was like, wait, that's wrong. That's not. Well, again, yeah. he's one of the Very directors much much to play that play that character. Very
4: Sorry. much a product of its time, too, because he yeah. was David Banner in that one, not Bruce Banner. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the 70s, they considered Bruce to be more of a homosexual name, so they didn't want that to be the lead character. So they turned it to yeah. David Bruce Banner.
0: Yeah. And Marvel, oh, Marvel, and Marvel, and Marvel, Followed suit by actually making that his his official full name because the show was so popular. Marvel actually did that in the comics at some point. That it was that it was Bruce David Banner, and to keep some kind of continuity with it, yeah. shared
3: world action.
2: All right, so unusually about 20 minutes into our episode tonight with guests, we're going to give you guys the chance to go ahead and introduce your show to our listeners after a long diversion there. What is Three Wise DMs? And uh, I don't know, what's the nature of your show? It's
3: a podcast and articles about helping DMs run their games better. I think Thorin, our friend... He had that vision for it. That it was. It's difficult sometimes to run games. It's a difficult system. It's difficult to get people together to stay fresh with things, to find places to go, and it's a way for us to be able to use some of the knowledge we've gained over the years to help the people that are willing to get up in front and be dungeon masters. Right? Everyone's a player, but only some of us are dungeon masters. So I think we try to be a champion for them in a little bit.
4: Yeah. In the end, it's it, we started it out as it's like Chris was saying. It's for DMs with problems. When you are running the game, you're going to run into things that every DM runs into. And that's what we started it with. It was Thorin talking to Tony and I about, we started to have conversations about games we were running. And we said, this is a podcast. This is stuff people might want to actually hear. Who knows? Uh, It turns out they did, at least a little bit. But yeah, it's just, we sit around and talk about the problems we have while we're running the game. And we have found from listener questions that it's all the same questions in the end, you know? Kind of like what you guys are doing here, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we definitely approach our storyteller-centric episodes with the same mentality, right? Where right. we try to lean on the experience because y'all have been playing for as long as we have. We, we, One of the things we say all the time is that we've been storytelling and gaming for over 100 years between the three of us. And I know y'all have been at it for about the same amount of time. And so it's like we're trying to... Share the stories of the things that have happened to us because it's all shared experience. And you're right. We keep one of the things we've been batting around for a while is like doing a why is there a storyteller shortage kind of episode, or how to go ahead and how to encourage other people to go ahead and step behind the screen to go ahead and run games. Like what's the what's the thought process behind doing that and everything like that? Or even talking about gamecraft, how does one storytell better and that kind of thing?
0: Yeah. I don't know if we let everybody know this episode is being is going to be on both of our channels. The regular listeners of 3Wise DMs will get a chance to listen to this episode in its entirety as the Tabletop Journeys will listen, listeners will get to listen to this episode. Yeah. The idea being we're a complimentary podcast and hopefully those audiences can – change up and get some of the goodies from both shows moving forward but one of the things that we've really prided ourselves on here at tabletop journeys is really breaking it down element by element so we'll have episodes where it's about how do you build an encounter or how to more specifically how do the three of us build an encounter what are the elements we put into encounter building what are the elements we put into using features such as Sidekicks, a, a more recent one. And we do a lot of those types of episodes. We, we do book reviews, we do other things as well, but the core of what we're really about is improving that storyteller and that player experience, that reducing that barrier to entry, as you said, Chris. It's an easy game for those of us who've been doing it for 30 years. When I go to a local shop, there are so many people who are in there who are great people. Great players, great storytellers, but they forget that there was a time when this wasn't easy for right. us. That first time we picked up polyhedral dice, we were amazed. We were jazzed, like we saw the possibilities.
1: Not until we colored them with the right crayon, you couldn't see them. The yeah, numbers you colored with the uh, white exactly crayon, uh,
0: but. Actually, the one I got was used. Yeah, the no nobody remembers that. Glenn. I still have
1: a light blue D twenty colored with white crayon from the original box set. It's the only thing I have left. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, the one I got was a used set, so it was already colored. And I think somebody actually colored like the five green. If I remember correctly, it was weird. (laughs) I don't know why I remember that little piece of information. That's strange. It just hit me, but I just remember thinking that at the time, I love what this could do, but there's parts of it that was hard. There is elements that didn't make sense. There are things that I quote unquote did wrong. Yes, I was having fun. So I guess it couldn't have been that wrong. But there are people who had other things that they could be doing. But this broke kid who at the time was brand new in town and had one friend across the street didn't have anywhere else to go. So I toughed it out. But in the world of the Internet today where you got 80 billion cable channels, 4 jillion streaming channels, a movie that you can go drop half a C note on to go see or whatever. And all these other things you could be doing. The reason why I think there is a shortage is people don't have time for things that are difficult. They're just not going to take the time. If it's not readily available to them, it's not necessarily something they're going to put that time and effort in. So anything we collectively in the podcast community can do to lower that barrier to entry is only going to build this hobby up.
1: Summed up in our tagline, let us help you make your next
3: role legendary. Yeah, R-O-L-E, yeah. So- whether you're a storyteller or a player. <laughs> yeah, people yep. are, I think people get scared by it. I know my friend Lenny, we just got him. We had him on an episode here, and we. I finally he got into it, and then I got him to, he started to run a game himself. And listening to him talk about the things that he's going through, and the stresses, and wondering if he did it right. No, I think I blew that roll last night. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. We were all laughing. We had a great time. And him starting exactly. to see that journey, but it's difficult. There's this aura of it's different than being a player it's a little bit harder so i think it's nice that we had there's a place that there's a community like us uh, for people to go to that have those issues yeah
2: so let's get into the bulk of what we're looking to go ahead and talk to tonight after what 25 minutes or whatever it's been, but really and something that can help newbie storytellers if it's done correctly. The whole reason why we called this episode Come Together was not just to go ahead and give David Lee a chance to sing together. There's shared a, shared it's a
0: in and of itself.
2: Yeah, fair. <laughs> no, totally it is. We're going to be talking about shared game worlds and the reason why we're talking about shared game worlds is turn the microphone over to our friends from through ISDMs here a little bit here again, because y'all did an episode about this about a year and a half ago, talking about campaigns that the three of you were running that were all kind of taking place in the same game world or at least under the same umbrellas. To set the table for our audience a little bit, talk to us a little bit about what y'all were doing and how did it work? And then we'll kind of get into the conversation as a whole, because there's a lot of parallels between what you guys were doing with that and what we're doing with our content creation side.
5: Well, at the time we were running Forgotten Realms. Chris was using the Jungle's of Cholt Avenger for the Tomb of Annihilation. I was doing Storm's King's Thunder and Dave was running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. So we all had parts in that world. We all had kingdoms that were running independently of each other. Later, we created our own world called the Further, where we had one collective kingdom, where we had our own towns that we're all working in together. And like Chris and I were building like a town like Black Click collectively, that was part both of our project there. We're fleshing out the flavor and details of
4: it. So I mean, so that was like the high overview of it. So <laughs> Tony had originally started running; he ran an adventure for one of our groups in Storm King's Thunder. Which was super cool. We've talked about it on the show a ton, and he had some. As we've talked about on the show, he started to break it apart. He put in different people, different NPCs, yada yada. I then start running Ravenloft. I start running the Curse of Strahd campaign, and during that time, I started to play with the idea of I would really love the idea that the group we had in Storm Kings exists. With the group that's happening in Curse of Strahd. And that's kind of where we started with when we were talking on that episode about how does this work? And, and, you know, what do you allow? And how do you leave enough room for the other DM to have some wiggle room and stuff? And now we've taken it even further because, as Tony said, Chris had started to run Tomb of Annihilation and stuff. And we were like, well, maybe that's in this world. And at this point now, we've pretty much just started from the ground up and created our entire world which we're calling The Further, and we're starting from the ground up that it's, uh, we kind of took an idea, almost like a West Marches style, where The Further is this open-ended thing. It can be whatever it needs to be. And these kingdoms and, and lands that we all develop that run by our rules exist on the outskirts of this gigantic, unknown, untraversed wilderness type of thing, you know? And so we've started to play into this like, all of us are playing in that same world, which harkens back to the earliest days of D&D. Because, I mean, guys always said, like, all of these are happening in the same world. Or And then they started to break it out into the multiverse. And, I mean, you see that with, like, the MCU and stuff. You know, you can just keep tacking on. And then it's almost like an improv thing because it's a yes and. Because Tony does something, and I can't just ignore it. I got to do something now. And Chris says, something. well, now I have to figure that out. You know, and that it's it's kind of fun. And you guys had started uh, talking about that on some of your episodes. And I was kind of jazzed to to delve into that because that's some that's some high level stuff, not just for newbie demons, that's for experienced people out there, too. But I mean, to take it back even a little bit further. Like it was over.
3: We keep using the word further here. Just all plugs <laughs> for our homebrew world. But um, it was back like in in Marvel Comics, in all the comics, there were always like crossovers and stuff. So we were playing face rip. The rip system, right? The original Marvel role-playing system. There and great one of the system. That started happen is I like, had a campaign going, and it was like, what if there was another group that was in this world, right? And it didn't have to be anything crazy. Like, it's not like I'm building a world here, but then I start to have other people that are there that can actually interact. Like, we keep having, we have these campaigns, like Ravenloft. Like, my Sir Scar doesn't meet the guy from this other campaign or hear about him. There's a We're sharing it, but it's not shared. And with this, we were able to, like with that and the Marvel idea, you take that and people can mix and match. And then with the further, you can take it. And then we start the idea is that we can take some of the published adventures and they don't necessarily need to exist. We can have them exist in the same space. It can get a little bit crazy because you can't necessarily share everything. Not everything goes together well, and you can find yourself just forcing it just because it has to be inside of your world. But. Just it just was- so much more depth because then I can actually be talking about the history of a character who is actually a character in a campaign versus that. Like we're playing yeah. you know, the Dragonlance, the parking back earlier. What makes it so powerful is you're talking about this history of this world over these hundreds of years. And there's all these things you can call back to this history. With the shared world, you get even more of a deeper connection to it because it's actually you were the Blades back in the day in your homebrew world. And now you're playing a. And now you're playing it in the second age and you can call back to those things with different campaigns.
4: Chris just wrote an article. You could probably find it on our website, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) threewisedms.com. Boom. There it is. But no, he wrote one ballad for the bartender all about how to make like three easy steps to make your NPCs much more interactive, much more immersive, much more real. Like it's something we're always trying to do, make our worlds feel real one of the easiest ways to make them feel real is this character that's gone from level one to 20, let's say, or whatever, exists. You already know their history. And if you meet them, Sir Scar, let's say, it's if I want to introduce Gandalf, right? Or in, we were just talking about Dragonlance in the start of the episode. If I wanted somebody to meet Raceland Majir, I'm going to know exactly what, how Raceland is going to be? I don't have to, like, oh, geez, let me make some notes on my session prep to see, like, how do I make this guy more immersive? He's already super immersive. So it's taking that, but in a world sense, not just with your p i yeah,
2: I really like what you're talking about, where you're taking, like, one game world and you're adding elements from Ravenloft and you're adding elements from Tomb of Annihilation and you're adding all these kind of various elements and putting them into the same world. It's not unlike what we started to do with our D actual play a while ago, where, We started just doing a run through of the Candlekeep mysteries because we loved that book and we wanted to go ahead and start running through it. And then as the game started and as the game kind of progressed, like games often do, it became something else. And so it went from Candlekeep and then went into the Wild Beyond the Witchlight when that book came out. But even still, the missions in Wild Beyond the Witchlight were the scaffolding that held up the game but there was all this other plot stuff that was happening around it so like you could look at the missions and see oh yeah no this is mission three from wild beyond the witch light but the story was totally different it was really like the mechanics and the structure was there but it was something different
4: yeah just as a really quick aside candle keep is super awesome so Chris and I are actually brothers. He's my older brother, which we talked about. But my mom was always asking us, like, what is this? You're always playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so I ran her and Chris and my girlfriend, Bonnie, and our older Matt, through the first adventure, The Joy of Extradimensional Spaces. So I ran my mom through that one. So it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's Just awesome. Just as a little, when you said Candlekeep, I went, you oh, think? damn. She liked it. It was so new to her though, but it was so funny to see. She was like a born role player. Like she got into the character. Like she even nice. named her character, like her grandmother's name and had a whole like kind of a backstory as a healer and stuff like It, it was, it was super cool to see the little aha moments people have when they're rolling funny dice. And my dad,
1: just since we're on parents really quick, my dad introduced <laughs> me to D&D. He was my first DM, so I call myself a second-generation player. He came home from Westpac because they started playing it on the submarine with some guys oh. and brought home the red box set and ran us through that. And then the next thing you know, he's playing all the time. But then later, fast forward 40, well, 30 years or so, he'd gotten out of it for a while. And as I got back into it, he's sitting at my table playing beside Liwanika. And that was yeah. fantastic. And watching him sit it, as the player amazing Special.
0: because i That's remember awesome. when we were in scouts he was our scout master for a number of years and i remember him running at one time and playing and whatnot and we could get in trouble for staying up late but generally not if we were playing D, kind of like little crazy stories like that and but sitting next to him while he's playing a dwarven fighter who's all about the fight and just getting into it and and i'm like i'm sitting next to senior and i'm like this is amazing. Like, it's such a, a an awesome moment. No one will ever take that away from me. It was that good. <laughs> he have
1: brought, like, in-game in game table shenanigans to the table, which I didn't expect. Like, I bought these pirate doubloon things to pass out for inspiration, and when people weren't looking, he'd steal them. He'd
0: take them. <laughs> if you weren't paying attention, Dad would just take them. He would just, like, oop.
2: Nice. nice. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, and this is something that you mentioned in your episode specifically, was how you reconcile mechanics that may exist for one player, but not for another. And Mm. forgive me that I don't remember the specifics, but you were talking, I think, Chris, you had a boon system in your game, right? Where... Maybe been Dave, maybe somebody else. But there was like a boon system that, like, if you perform certain tasks, that you could gain these kind of supernatural boons from from some from like a deity or something like that. And it was a was question funny. of like, okay, oh, it was you, Tony. Okay, so yeah. so it's the magic of I want to give these players these things in my world or in my game rather than saying world. But it's also got to acknowledge that they may not exist. In Chris's game or in Dave's game. And so I guess I kind of want to get it. I want an update on that. Like, how did that wind up? How did that wind up reconciling and how did that wind up working?
4: Hard. It was sometimes, (laughs) you know, it (laughs) it was sometimes hard because Tony's going to go into it about he is a very generous DM and he likes to make cool things. And that's cool within the game. But when you take it out of that game, it can get janky.
5: Yeah. I only throw out like things like boons like that where they were meaningful and could be impactful and throw off power curves when you're already pretty high level. I wouldn't do that at you know level 4, level 5, level 7, but like you guys are deep into their careers and I'm looking, fishing around for fun things to give someone who's level 14, 15, 16, then you know what? I'll toss them a boon and then I'll leave it back to the DM if that, if that really is going to be an issue within their game. That's up to them. But when they're in my game... It stands.
4: Yeah, I was saying I was I was being somewhat funny because I like to I like to rib Tony on that, just like he <laughs> likes to rib me on not giving enough magic items out. But for instance, in the Curse of Strahd game, my girlfriend's character, Bonnie's character, little one, she was a gnome artificer, played it wonderfully, but she was a just a chaos engine. I mean, we've talked about this on the cast many times. She was just a chaos, she loves just crazy stuff to happen, right? So at one point it happened that I gifted her the Wand of Wonder, right? Which is exactly what you give to that player because they love that, right? She specifically loved the kind of stuff like you turn into a potted plant for two rounds or something, right? Like that jazzed her up as well as I as well as I light fireball up, you know, in the middle of the room, whatever it might be. But Tony was like, well, this isn't really helping us tactically at all. So he tried, he updated, we did an article on it, updated the Wand of Wonder. And he did like a hundred different things there that it could do. And I looked at it, they were high level at this point though. So while it was, it was definitely more powerful than the original I was like, let's run with it because we're talking about world ending events, right? They're going after, this is already after Strahd's dead. They're going after when I started to homebrew and they're going after Vampire, his maker, the Star of Blood and Eldritch Horror. Like these are big things, you know, I'm, I'm about to drop a CR 30-ish thing on them. <laughs> right. Uh, like level 17. So like, yeah, you can jazz up the wand, you know? So we played with it, but like he was saying, like he doesn't drop that out at like level four
2: sure sure yeah
4: sorry
3: yeah no uh, Bonnie she dropped a 97 which I think is a drops a pit fiend into the middle of combat who's like a lawyer and he charges you like $500 a round it's
4: 500 gold per turn but he's a lawyer he's like and he he, you do it but then he works like a pit fiend for you you yeah as long as you pay him and she busted it up
3: twice but I mean it's it can be definitely be game breaking like that. Like, I think we'll put, in the, the first Facebook campaign I really ran for them, I ran the cosmic version of it, which is much more, it was built for like Thor and a lot of these other characters. So I had them roll up these really high level characters. And pretty soon they are just blowing through everything, right? Like, so I think there is a bit of you have to find it and you have to break it to find your limits to where you can make it fun and think like a lot of Tony stuff, it does, it adds to the enjoyment of the game there. Sometimes you can break the game, but sometimes you can break the game back a little bit to the players there as much, so.
4: Yeah, Chris, that's a good point, because like like you guys talk about a lot on, on your cast, different systems are going to, you, you're going to approach if you share campaigns, if you share games with other DMs, that will change depending on the system. Did you
2: know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. And thank you for enjoying the show.
0: My first experience in this avenue was with friend of the show and Patreon, Marty. He was at that one friend I had who lived across the street from me kind of thing. And uh, he DM'd for me for a while. And then he said, I want to play. And honestly, it was the two of us. So I was like, I guess I'm DMing. And and our idea was we were just going to play in the same world. So we did that. Very rudimentary. Basically, what we were doing was grabbing modules, running modules with homebrew stuff in between modules. So, like, we mm. plotted out where the modules were on the Greyhawk map. And if there was a module that we got, the hottest module, we had to Homebrew Adventure to get a to get across to it. it. And and so we do that or whatever we travel. So, you know, I had one main character, he had one main character, and we had a bunch of supporting characters that were built as main characters. I rolled a couple, many of them, he rolled a couple of them. And then we would each run them depending on who was playing and who was DMing, right? basically it was one DM and a party being run by the other player. And so this is how we did it for years, like probably two or three years. That was my D&D experience until I started Uh finding other groups other than playing at Scouts with Glenn in that. Fast forward to college years, and I've got a friend who had already been doing multi-generational campaigns. So the player that played an elf in his first campaign, and they played up to about level 10 before that campaign ended. That was the only player who was a level 10 character the second campaign because an elf was still alive. Everybody else who came into something else started at level one. And that's how we played. And then when that generation ended, if that elf survived or whatever, or they might have gone off to do some other thing. But we played those generations. And if you're playing a human, you just played your kids. Or maybe you just said, I don't want to play the family anymore and I'll play somebody else. And somebody else played your old family or whatever. Here we are. 30 years after that, because that was when I was in college, so we're talking ninety four, ninety six. the live stream that Glenn and I are in is that same game world. Like, I'm right. actually playing a character who is related, but mystically, to that character I played in 1994, when that's I rolled awesome. into a brand new town, walked into a cool. shop. The worlds are kind of saying,
1: merging is the way yeah, that's going. <laughs> Spiro's not the original world, but the old world of Alanis is merging into Spiro. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then there's I mean, a second a live stream that's there, of, that's but definitely. that's how we did it. And it was like, really in my mind, the formation of, okay, so DMs can kind of work together on this. And that was one DM who did all those generations. But while he was doing that, he had other DMs or other players who wanted to be DMs do spin-off campaigns. So I got to do a number of those spin-off campaigns. So same campaign world. It was in a specific time. Sometimes I had some of the other players or sometimes it was players from totally separate groups that would come in and play characters so we might have a campaign that went for six months or a year or a little bit more and then i would just let the main dm know what had happened and that all fed into the story and built up organizations built up towns within this within this whole world and that was my second experience with that glenn i'll let you go because my third experience and one of the most gratifying ones was the uh, palladium game that glenn ran and he was kind enough to let me run a couple spin-offs in as well
1: yeah we definitely did some collaboration there they totally get y'all's dynamic we run into that too lee winika is a very low magic player for his worlds he does not like a lot of magic items yes, they-, they come about it more often when you get into higher the higher tiers and i'm not free with them but i do math and i'm like okay I've got six players everybody should have x number of magic items by the time they finish tier two roughly so i've got to find ways to start inserting these things and i go a little bit but it could definitely what's that josh
2: (laughs) i am i'm very free with them i'm like and josh is very free i ride the the middle everywhere yeah 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 for in-game reasons but that's
1: yeah always gives benito credit for the massive continuing world thing but i always redirect it back at him Because he always goes to Benito for it. But Lewanika ran the generational game from that Greyhawk world all the way until we were in our 30s or so when he started playing in Ben's campaign. My character, the first priest I ever played and loved, Anorak Hammerfist, later was an NPC running a sect. And he's calling me, or text, it wasn't text back then, calling me. So it was calling me because i'm sorry we're old there was no text he's calling me saying (laughs) okay for the group i've got going they're going to meet anric and i had a ward who was like my son and he's in the game so what would you do and he's still getting information from old players to try to help flesh that out so lee Wanika did an amazing job with that on his own and i got to make sure he toots his own horn sometimes too
0: i will say this we have not heard the last of anric Hammerfest. glenn threw out some future project stuff there but uh, anric Hammerfest will be seen again Sometime in the in the next year or so, in the next year, definitely, there there are plans for that character. Yeah. And even I, one of the home games that I am running now, is based on that old Greyhawk world, and and a lot of those old legacy characters are coming back. They're in. Big positions. They are the stories of legend from a couple generations, many generations ago kind of thing. There's towns that are named after them, that type of thing. But they are very much a fixture in my game. So Enric is due to make his return very soon.
4: It is funny because we are very similar. We We have extremes and then somebody rides the middle between the three of us, generally speaking. There's something, though, like a lot of times we talk about it in terms of players, like around the table when we're given kind of advice for players and stuff. Especially for story beats, making sure you're getting enough spotlight, those types of things so nobody's left behind. But I think in a shared world like this or a shared multiverse, whatever you're doing, we always say trust your DM. And we usually say that in terms of the players. Trust your DM to bring you along, that that they have your best interests at heart. There, Mike Shea from Sly Forge will say, be a fan of your players, right? You're, right? you're watching this happen, the movie, right? And you're like, yeah, let's do this. So trust your DM to have that idea, even if it's not right now, it'll happen. And in the same way, if you're sharing it with other DMs, trust that there is that that give and take. Trust that they're not going to completely implode what you're doing with your side of the world.
2: Yeah, and when we were talking ahead of the show here, I was saying that that episode was really interesting to listen to for me because what I found was a lot of commonality between what you guys were talking about on that episode, but also what our process was, maybe less so on some of our earlier books when we were just starting out, but a lot on this last book, the book that we just did on Kickstarter last fall, talking about how we were going to hammer out the some of the mechanical things and a lot of the adventure stuff, like how we were going to go ahead and weave these together so that we felt that the book had an interior cohesion to it. To it, right, so the book made sense. It was ostensibly a book of subclasses that, as you know, as the stretch goals and everything were hit, more content kept getting added in, and then there's this this like monstrous adventure chapter. It was less like in-game concern but there was a lot of out of game concern where it's like all of us were writing adventures but we did not necessarily include the same elements in every adventure and we didn't necessarily have the same type of stuff or the same depth of story in each one so a lot of it was like all right, the three of us are going to go back and write and then we're going to throw it all into a pile and basically throw it at Glenn's feet and say okay Glenn make sense of this pile of crap that we just threw at you please what wound up coming out was fabulous but it took a lot of conversations to kind of get there okay what do did you actually mean when you wrote this sentence, Levanika? What did you actually mean? What was it you wanted when you wrote this? Yeah, I, that I, was, that I, was I, a lot
1: of conversations and a lot of work to take yeah. six to eight story hooks. They weren't even story hooks; they were like six pages each. Yeah, what, what in, did we I call them? They, story Inventor starters, adventure starters. Inventor Inventor starters, starters. starters. Yeah. It was like, Inventor, like the first they were, seven they were in four four of pages. each yeah. other. They were all independently chaos grown. And then try to make them have some kind of a cohesive element to be in the same publication. That was a hoot.
2: Yeah. What yeah. we learned from
1: that is this time with this book, we created a template together right up front.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's kind Interestingly of enough,
0: from your mistakes. <laughs> Dave, in the lead up to us recording tonight, you and I had a lot of emails back and forth where we are putting together our song or whatever. And I made a <laughs> comment to you just this morning or just this afternoon that I love the process of arranging music. To me, that's exciting when when i i tossed the idea of doing the beatles come together because paul mccartney uh, but <laughs> aside from that awesome piece of, uh, of, of musical history and very uh, thematically appropriate and thematically appropriate. And
4: it's like, it's on the nose, right?
0: Yeah. But uh, when I toss that idea at you and then you were like, okay, we could do a verse or whatever, figure out how we do it. And then I threw some arrangement ideas. You threw some arrangement ideas back. And I loved that back and forth, that, that collaboration, that cohesive element. And that's a bit of a microcosm of what we're talking about. If you're, a player or a DM and you're working with another player, DM or storyteller, that's the magic sauce. If you're fortunate enough to set, to come together and say, Hey, let's start from scratch. Let's build a world together. I'm going to run some games. You're going to run some games. That's the easiest way. That is absolutely the easiest way, but it's not the only way. If you have been playing and they have been playing and running games and the idea is how do you bring them together? you can also do that but the conversations are all
4: about uh, fair enough don't worry our the chat line is going crazy yeah the just chat so, good. Just so I it was written by
0: yes. it was written by john lennon yes but in my opinion that's a paul mccartney thing because i saw him in 1990 on his world tour for his fourth of july show at giant stadium and as far as i'm concerned that's Paul McCartney. That's the, my mom. is that
3: Lennon brought it. It's actually, he took it from a Chuck Berry song. There's a song, yeah. You Can't Catch Me, where he here comes old flat top, he comes grooving up slowly. Lennon yeah. brought it at an up-tempo speed, and Paul McCartney said, yo, that sounds just like the Chuck Berry song, you should slow that down. And they slowed it down, and that's how it turned out to this. So it was yeah. written by Lennon, but McCartney gave him the, apparently, or mythically gave him the idea to slow it nice. down yeah. a little bit. No, so I, I'm so, okay, yep.
4: Exactly, but that works exactly what we're talking about, because... The same thing you do for characters, right? The characters at your table when you're running it is the same thing you would do with a DM where you're sharing it, where you open up enough of the room for the mystery of the story to tell you what it is. Not for you to tell the story, but for the story to happen organically at the table. So slight topic
1: change from our music history lesson, which was fabulous, but I kind of have a question for all of you, because this is something that I've been toying with and preparing to do with someone in one of my groups, and it touches on all the things we've been talking about right down to the storyteller shortage, because not everybody wants to take on the work, right? And and a lot of people are intimidated by it. So I'm going to tell you what I'm about to try to do, and I want to know what you guys think or if any of you have ever tried it before. So basically, I have someone in one of my games who's interested in storytelling, but they're scared. And so what I'm trying to encourage them to do, we're having talks at the moment, is, all right, I'm running the games right now. You and I can start talking about storytelling in the world a little bit without giving you too much information. And if you want to try it, then let's write an adventure together in the same world. I'll sit down at the table and play in it. You be the storyteller. I'll be there to back you up and develop them that way. I think that's going to help one, work on the collaborative world building, and two, give them a better idea in a tutorial kind of sense for how to run the game. And I'm hoping that's going to be successful. Has anybody ever tried to, to develop a storyteller right out of your own game like that?
3: I think we, when I worked with my friend Lenny, he, we, he didn't, wasn't into it for years, and then one day texted me because of Stranger Things and said, oh, I'm really into D&D, and we started talking about it, and he wanted to DM something. And so we got him involved in our Tuesday night game and got him into seeing what it was actually evolved and then having him run his own game after that with the same group. It's not quite the same where it's the same world. I think in your case, you're providing a little bit of extra lift on the story side where you're saying, you don't have to come up with all this. I'll give you a nice base, and you work with it. Correct. But in the same sort of tutorial way, we do it all together. Everybody's at the table. And then, okay, now you do it now. And it's a little bit less intimidating because the guys in the room are still the same three of us. It's just now you're running it. And so he, I think it makes it a little bit easier to get into it because you're not just coming in completely dry there, like you have a shared interest.
5: So when you're inexperienced DM, it's nice to just allow them to focus on Actually telling the story, working on their NPCs, doing their descriptions. And if they get tripped up on the rules, well, they've got a season DM right there that's hey, this is how it works. Yeah. No fuss, no
2: muss. Yeah. Kind of like I, a I Joe in totally our
1: Star Trek Adventures games.
2: That's exactly that's what, what I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that the to answer the question about like how to proceed down that path, my first question would be: what is it that they're most nervous about? If they're nervous about the rules forget it. That's There are enough people with the books, with the dice at the table to go ahead and smooth over that. And if they're worried about the storytelling aspect of it, then that's one of those things that really just gets better with experience. I'm sure that you guys would feel the same way that I am not, I'm a much better storyteller now than I was when I was 15 or when I was 18 or when I was 21. The more that it happens, the better you get at it because you start realizing what your options are, right? That's the The biggest thing that I, if I, for new storytellers that I would say is you don't have to know what you're doing when the game starts. What you have to be aware of is what are your options? Where could you go? What can you do? We talked about this a little bit on our story construction episode a couple of weeks ago, but it's come up with three things that you know you want to do in that five hour span and make sure you hit those three things, but everything else that happens in between is absolute gravy and chaos and beautiful nonsense and as long as you hit your three points everything else is going to be fabulous but don't get like, trapped in analysis paralysis right don't think that you need to script everything that's going to happen for these next 5 hours cuz you, go you, oh, you will go do that cuz you can oh will go
3: in order you have no you yeah. have to go here next right, Okay. No, yeah, go back that's go. that's
2: not playing a game that's reading a story no, right? you know, which is a different fun <laughs> yeah. yeah so You're absolutely
0: correct, and our Star Trek Preservations game and what we're doing with STA, the 2D20 system by Modiphius, is a great example of that. This was a game that I wanted to be all in on last summer. I still needed to digest the rules, figure out how to play this game, how to run this game, or whatever, we were working on our book at the time, so th- it would have been totally unfair for me to say, hey, Glenn, here's a new game I want to play, learn the rules, tell me how to play the game, and then I'll run the game. I usually <laughs> just throw it at Glenn. Glenn learns the system and tells me the stuff I need to know, because all I know is story. And I love Star Trek, so I know Star Trek. Like, I had the story in my head. He's
1: much better at mechanics than he used to be. He, that, yeah. that's, more of a, that's more of a dated statement than it actually yeah. is now.
0: <laughs> but, but I'm like, no, I'm going to learn this one on my own. And fortunately, the system's easy enough for that it was possible. But there are a few little wonky challenges in there to get the system down. So I spent, while we were working on the book, some time learning the system, listening to other podcasts and going out there and figuring out how to do this thing. Along that way, found this great gm for the star trek adventures game who was very excited when he found out we were going to be doing an actual play and more importantly that we were just going to be playing with our patreons he like joined our patreon immediately uh, he he just wanted to play he's a forever (laughs) gm in star trek adventures and just wanted the (laughs) chance to be able to play and i was to be fantastic very nervous right i've been gming for years but this is a new game and it's Star Trek. I have so much history with Star Trek. I was freaked out about not doing this IP justice. or not giving it just not giving it its justice, right? And one of the things through my conversations, Joe Harney is his name. One of my thing. One of the things with him is, I felt very secure that I didn't have to worry about the rules. So, so thanks, learned, Joe,
1: for all of your help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I felt secure. Also, in a number of conversations with many of the freelance writers for the game, like we, Michael Desmuke, who was on our show, Al Spader, who's been on our show, conversations with Jim Johnson, who's the line editor for Modiphius. Um, the Star Trek Adventures c- fan community is amazing.
4: That's they really are open.
0: so welcoming and wonderful. If you have questions, go on one of their Facebook groups, any of them ask a question and within a day you've got like a bunch of answers and almost all of them are positive and helpful right so once I realized that was the environment I was going to be working with it made all the difference I knew the story I was going to run how I was going to adapt the printed material and it was just when I hit a rule snag Joe's like, Hey, do you need help with this? And uh, yeah, step in. And he did. And that's what Glenn you're talking about is basically Joe's your example for that, at least as far as STA goes. And if we as storytellers are doing that for other players who are interested, but have little pain points that they're worried about can step in to help that we can grow the number of GMs in this, this hobby by leaps and bounds. There's six of us here. How many players could we touch in this way? Just if we each did one game, that's another six GMs. We've doubled the number of GMs in the hobby with a couple of games. But
4: oh yeah, I just wanted to, to. Josh's question is a great one because you always want to, you always want to foster that and manifest that. It's one of the reasons I love Matt Colville's running the game series because <laughs> no, just do it. It's not hard. Do it, please God, yeah. do it. Yeah. But. Even not for new people, I would think the same thing. Tony, he and I did the same thing in the Curse of Strahd campaign where we were bringing in my bard, Roderick Droggle, who had this whole huge overarching backstory in the Storm Kings game, bringing him over into the Strahd game because I needed them to find this ritual in amber, which was a way that they were going to be able to defeat Vampire, the Star of Blood. Strahd's maker. It was this whole second half of the adventure. So I said, Tone, do you want to run this session? Like, you, here's a session. Here's what I want. Like, they need to find this. Let me know how that happens. And then I played in the game. And he's also going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be doing the summer blockbuster coming up, where it's the ultimate final endpoint of that kind of group, that team, where we'll finally hopefully tie up uh, the one character's story that I wasn't able to, who happens to be my girlfriend's mom. I really need to do that. I think that's just <laughs> important. To do that. But the same, that way, business, I said, my
0: friend, handle that business.
4: Yeah, I said <laughs> I got to handle it. So I said to Tony, "Yeah, here's the idea, and then run with that within the world that we built." So I think, in the same way, for a new player. And I'm sorry, that was to Glenn, not Josh. I apologize. Glenn, uh, yeah. No so same no, you can, thing. You, you can same say, thing, will get you everywhere, Dave. Like how great my question Whether Russia? it's new or experienced player, same thing. If they want to do it, run one game. Just jump in, run it, and then see where it goes from yeah, there. let's talk you about know?
1: it after. See how you did. And yeah, Josh <laughs> will steal credit from anybody. He doesn't care. He's, <laughs> he's not proud <bad> or particular.
4: <laughs> but yeah.
2: Way more particular than I was when I was 20. On that
1: front, because we all do it. We've all done the collaboration thing. So I thought it might be cool if we talked about some of the tools that we use to help keep each other on the same page. Because with technology that we've got now, there's so many options out there. So once you're both running the same story, how do you keep it straight? What do you (laughs) use to help communicate with each other? That's everybody.
0: Yeah, and if I can, for the Three Wives DMs, if (laughs) one of the three of you could tackle the topic of your monster wranglers, because I love that idea, and I have not yet had the opportunity to really implement that in my games. Yes. I've done something similar to that when I did live action Vampire the Masquerade when we had narrators. I was a storyteller. But um, at the tabletop, I'm really interested in how that works. So I'd love if you can add that to uh, what you guys bring to the table on this one. That's the...
3: That one's David. Like we use Google Docs a lot, obviously. Me and Google Tony, Docs. Yeah. For the further, it started as an outline, like a conversations and then an outline and then the outline would grow, right? You have sections and then someone would come in and paste in the section. Tony would run a section at his campaign and come in and paste in some history there. And I'd kind of come in later and then I'd be running my campaign and I could use some of that stuff or I could add my own stuff to it. And slowly, like, I think the spiral campaign, especially for this stuff works really good because it lets everything you can always, someone can always pick up the thread and run with it. Right. It's not like, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like, it's just leading somewhere.
4: Yeah. I think we're all big fans of Google docs. If it got to be something that was like super serious, I've oftentimes wondered like world anvil does those types of wiki type pages with hyperlinks and stuff like, That could be pretty cool. But that would have to be like if we took the further to a point where it became like something. We've just started on that in that way. But for the most part, Google Docs or I have literally just texted Tony and been like, "Okay, these characters, what am I looking at? But generally, Google Docs, though, (laughs) that's our thing. Yeah.
5: One of my favorite Somehow, mods of all time was Dungeons of Greyhawk, which had 13 levels, and you don't want your mod to look like that unless that was intentional by 13 different writers had a different a part of it like that. You got to all communicate well, it and make it gel. Yeah
2: yeah like i run I have a world info database for kind of like my own homebrew campaign but I would recognize that it is it is a bigger pain in the butt to go ahead and keep updated than it seems and it's also like i can't i would not begin to pretend that it made sense to anybody else i remember after running the very first game when i launched this campaign the very first game i i went back and i I used to listen to the sessions after I was done to go ahead and take notes, and I had five pages of entries that needed to be put into World Anvil just after the first game session, and I was like, okay, this is going to get arduous. (laughs) Unless you've got a a lot of
1: time on your hands, yeah, World Anvil is more of a, you put the effort into building that to create your community on World Anvil, so your fans (laughs) can come there to look at your lore (laughs) and And then they update it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Google Docs is a big one that we use too. But I've been thinking about talking to the boys about breaking into some other stuff sometimes for
2: individual yeah. like, projects. Like Scrivener. Uh, or, yeah, yeah. I, it's there, there. are Google like Google Docs is great, uh, and like the so much of our stuff lives up on our Google mm-hmm. Cloud anyway. And there are better tools that may help us be more organized. And I'm, at some point, we may need to look into. I've that. been exploring yeah. some. Some.
1: We use Asana to help keep the podcasting schedule straight, and there's oh, probably yeah, ways that we could bring Asana Absolutely. into the communication too
3: for projects. But yeah, yeah a lot of my creation is all on bulleted lists. I don't know what it is, but I love the bulleted list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, I'm so you're big on Lee on Wani- yeah, okay.
2: or yep. like that. Cool. I'm Tony. Leewanika is Chris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let yeah. yeah. me get me near Dave.
0: Yeah. 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 Part of that is my ADHD mind. Like I, in my head, it is a struggle for me to. I love prose, I love reading and that, but if I am looking at a document to gather information to do a thing with, I need that to be bullet pointed so I can then do my thing. Like if this is all written in prose, it becomes very hard for me to take prose and transfer that to whatever the task may be. So, but bullet points of, here's the town, here's the names, here's three big things that happened since the last time your player group got there, I need that in bullet points. They can be a sentence. They might don't have to be in a sentence or what have you, but they need to be there. You, the last time your characters are there, they beat up an old guy in the street. So they're actually wanted for questioning. So I need that to be in a bullet points. If you bury that in text somewhere, I'm going to forget that they were wanted for questioning, they're going to chill out, share some donuts with the local constipatory, and walk around like they're bosses. As that opposed sounds like to my having one Marvel out, character. You know? <laughs> so. it, it, those are the kinds of things that, for me, are helpful. So, one of the things, and it works for storytellers and their players, you have to know your players. So, if you're going to build a collaborative world with another storyteller, you also have to know what works for them. You have to know their style. You don't necessarily have to fill out some fancy sociological test or whatever, and know if they're type a a a or a plus or whatever the latest greatest thought is but you genuinely and generally need to have an idea of how they work and what works for them and then you as an individual even if that's not your particular style have to work pretty hard in some cases if they are a bit divergent in styles to communicate in that way and then that other GM has to do the same thing back to you. You almost have to reconsider the way you communicate when you're building together so that you're on the same page. One of the things between the three of us, because we all have slightly different learning styles, complementary playing styles, complementary thought processes, likes, loves, wants, dislikes, and that. But one of the things that we don't share in all aspects is that communication style. The big joke around here is Josh speaks fluent Liwanika. <laughs> Liwanika is not as good as speaking Josh or Glenn at any given time. And there are times where I will try to type something. I get question marks, crickets, or what the hell are you trying to say? <laughs> and then it's, this is going to be much easier if I, I just call, call like, you. Yeah, I'm, I am not going to be able to type this out right now. It happened For, earlier today. <laughs> yeah, earlier today. could we, we honestly could still be having this conversation if I continued to try to type it. I was never going to be able to get those words out in a way that made sense. But if you work with somebody long enough or you know somebody long enough, you figure that stuff out, and you find the best way to communicate, and then you try your best to communicate in that way. And give your, for DMs who are considering this out there, give yourself some grace. It's never going to be perfect. A mistake, an error, a miss, something's going to happen. You can navigate through it. Once the events happen, we'll probably pop back on the show at some point and tell you about one of those for the Star Trek Adventures game. We there was a miss somewhere along the way with the way something happened. We figured it out when we were editing episode three, which hasn't aired yet. And we're like, oh, we can or episode two, which hasn't aired yet or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, we can fix that, though. So we just came up with a way to fix it. It's been fixed. And then once that episode airs, we'll talk about it. But it genuinely it was actually funny. It was just like, yeah. oh, I meant that. I must. It was either a typo or something that was misseen at some point, but, oh, they were supposed to be whatever. So XYZ, you know, right, yeah. Those yeah. things are going to happen. Allow it. Don't sweat it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're playing a game, and we're having fun. It'll be okay. Here's, Walk right through it, and your players won't even know.
4: Yeah, here's the beauty of that, because even within its own world, like – When you go through the lore we were talking about earlier, Dragonlance, you go through the lore of Dragonlance, all of it is contradictory (laughs) throughout the entirety of it. So it doesn't even matter when it's the same writers or the same world. So. You it's a good point, too. Is that communication is the key in a shared
3: world. If you're sharing between DMs, it's, you probably want to over-communicate a little bit just to make sure that everybody knows exactly, at least the parts that they need to know, right? Like, I think there's parts of it that are yours, but the parts that need to be part of the shared thing, like, you, you need to know this. And then if they make something that breaks it, I think that's part of the fun, too, is you have to then work on the fly and figure out how this works in my world now that there's this magic yeah. item here. How does this work now in my campaign versus the campaign yeah. where they got it in? So.
4: Yeah, how do you explain it now yeah, is, is, is part weird. of the fun. Mm-hmm. But Lou and Eagle, what, what is your question about the Monster Wrangler?
0: Yeah, I just like, how did the idea come to you? Like in my head, it's like I, it never would have dawned it And there's a number of... End of campaign scenarios where you're fighting the big boss. And in order to make it as scary and as exciting and as challenging as that, I would need to have this slew of minions and this cadre of lieutenants as well as the big bad, exactly. as well as all these environmental things happening, which Glenn right. is a pro app for environmental stuff happening in, a, in an encounter. And it never dawned on me to just have somebody else run the monsters.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And like,
0: how did that come to you?
4: Yeah, I steal very well, like any good DM does. (laughs) Not the way I necessarily used it, but if if you go back, Matt Colville in his running the game series does an episode where he talks about a quote monster wranglers. But that's more like a player is like tracking like movement and hit points in a big encounter or something like that. I just took it a step further because with the finale, so if you go, our first episode back, the Back in Black episode, if you go to the website, we go over the absolute finale of our Curse of Strahd where they were fighting Vampyr and his lieutenants. And they were fighting up the, you can see the pictures where our one friend, Scott, our terrain wrangler, we've added to the wranglers, built the mountaintop fortress Amazing uh, Mount Gargus and the Amber Temple, and so it wow. was absolutely phenomenal. It was like getting Castle Skull when you were like eight years old for mm. Christmas. Nice, I, but I had them fighting against multiple of the quote dark powers that I, in essence, it was like Eldritch horror type things that had been released from the Amber Temple. So these were big boy things. These were CR twenties. These were big things, and I wasn't going to be able to give them the the what they needed to run them well. So I asked Matt, my younger brother, I said, hey, you want to come in and be my monster wrangler? I'm going to give you these guys and this guy, and I'm going to run these guys. And that freed me up to do all the other things that I had to do. And the nice thing about it that I remember Thorin talking about when we first did it was when you give an NPC or a villain to another person that's not the DM, they will run them mercilessly. Yeah, like, they will. The DM, like, I get, like, we're all, like, big, tough DMs, and they're all going to die at my table, and I'm going to eat players for breakfast. And then we're like, <laughs> and then I want to bake you a cake in my campaign. Right. We're actually, like, software. We kind of run the monsters into people a little bit. We don't necessarily make the most tactical decisions. Not another person. They're going to be like, no, I want to win at d d here. I'm yeah. gonna not wanna die and I don't wanna kill you because you're trying to kill me. So that changes the stakes too. So yeah. yeah, if you got somebody to come in, bring them in. Yeah. Cause they'll <laughs> love it too, because they get to just jump in and play some crazy ass villain or something. Nice. That's the uh-huh. way that Kel
1: and Scald did it when we did our class warfare for their new book that was coming out to play test yeah. their yeah. Uh, sure. subclasses in our class warfare and they ran the bad guys and Scald Mm -hmm. ran the encounter and Cal ran the minions. It was pretty, uh, pretty good. Other
0: way around, I think. But yeah, I got yeah. smoked that? from that one. Yeah. Like I yeah. got
2: beat down because they're brutal. We love yeah. Kell and Scald because they are like take no prisoners. Mm-hmm. They will steal your lunch money and then beat you over the head with your own sandwich. Yeah. But
1: they'll also design know. a boss fade that's got you, that's using spells that have you effectively <laughs> doing a dance montage in the middle of the fight. <laughs> exactly.
2: Which I basically a good flash
0: danced through part of this episode yeah. uncontrollably, yeah. which was yeah. awesome. Is great. Real quick, I just wanted to say you commented about the terrain. You and, never do anything and, real quick. Uh, and you said it was Grayskull. I actually thought of it about the uss flag because to me it was that like only one kid in the neighborhood had that bad boy three or four <laughs> kids had the had castle Skull.
4: the uss flag i love the meme that comes up this is the 34th anniversary of me not receiving the, the <laughs> <G-Gow> battleship <laughs> for christmas right like I, oh every time it makes me <laughs> land, like wait, 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 battleship or them.
1: aircraft carrier remember aircraft the aircraft, carrier, aircraft, yeah. Carrier. Yeah, yeah. The aircraft carrier yeah that is the one thing when i was a kid that I did not get. That I put up when I oh. put it on my list, even though I put the most number of stars beside it. What?
4: It's the like one time in I didn't 86, get six. It was like a hundred and something. Like that yeah, money's worth a car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I literally could have bought a
0: gremlin for the cost of the of a U.S. flag.
2: <laughs> could, could have bought two Yugos. Uh, yeah. All right, gentlemen, I I think we got to put a cap on this for tonight. What a Uh fantastic episode. I love it when episodes start like this, that we think we're going to talk about one thing, and we wound up talking about... Virtually something totally things. different. Yeah. We kept trying to bring it back to shared worlds, but man, this, what a great episode for folks trying to become storytellers and game masters out there. This is there's We covered a lot of a, a lot of road in this episode, so it was really awesome to have you. For our listeners, and I'll do the same in a second here, Dave, Chris, Tony, how can our listeners find 3Wise DMs? Where should they go to engage with you guys?
4: Oh, website, as I plugged it earlier, <laughs> was uh, 3 com. You can reach us directly, ThreeWiseDMs at gmail.com. You also Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are very active on all of those socials. We're always looking for questions, problems you're having. We cover it all. There's really nothing we haven't talked about or probably we'll talk about again.
2: Awesome. (laughs) Cool. For the fans of your show that are listening to us talk on the Three Wise DMs channel, you can find Tabletop Journeys at www.ttjourneys.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to go ahead and talk to you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. If you look up Tabletop Journeys, you should find us on any of those at TT Journeys on Twitter and Instagram. And I think the Facebook page is also www.facebook.com slash TT So you can engage with us there also. So.
1: And if you're interested in getting into our actual play action, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash TT journeys
0: that's right, for our Patreon. We love to talk to players, DMs. We love to talk to other content creators, other podcasters. And I look forward to having this conversation continue. Like I said earlier, I've been a listener of your show since the beginning. When Josh and I first tossed around the idea of doing a podcast, the first thing I did was let me go out and listen to some other podcasts. And yours was one of the first ones that I came to. And I'm like, I dig that. And I love the fact that you're taking these questions. We do uh, questions from the audience episode every so often and a mm. lot of that very first one was an idea that I'm like well, these guys are doing this every week we got <laughs> at least do this a couple times a year yeah uh, we got to keep up <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: and now we're so, collaborating awesome. with, now them, now which it. is
4: great the yeah, collaboration
1: yeah. episodes that awesome. we do are some of my
4: favorite podcast great
2: excuse to talk to awesome people doing awesome things
4: no, I really appreciate you guys the invite I really yeah do. absolutely yeah.
2: Yeah, let's see. So next week, next week, we're actually going to get, so we talked about our NPC episode a couple of weeks ago when we talked about sidekicks in particular. We're going to break out our NPC episode, start talking about how to craft NPCs. Dave, that you, that you mentioned yeah. Chris's article about, about NPCs there. I was looking it up while you were talking. So that's a, that is now in my reading material in advance for that week. Gentlemen, thanks very much wow. for joining us tonight. Glad to have you on. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for recording with us. So
4: thank you very much, guys. All right,
2: everybody out there listening. Thank Thanks, you very much nice. for listening. And like I said, we'll talk to you next week when we talk about disease.
1: So you guys then, don't have to close us out the with a song th- like Sha Na 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 Hey Goodbye" or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're <Wait, you're> gonna <laughs> kind
4: of yeah, a long, long time. time. Uh, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> Fantastic. I- <laughs> And that was
0: Dave, your rock and roll DM.
4: <laughs> oh, dude, we're gonna do a duet. We'll do a duet record, singing the crits. It'll oh, finally well, happen.
0: I love it. <laughs> I'm all in. Yeah. I am all in.
2: We'll get Josh's <laughs> son. He'll be our. He'll be our second. <laughs> <MVP. laughs> see if we some background. Yeah, there you go. All. Yeah. All right. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all. Later. Good night, guys. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr or Instagram at TT Journeys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check
0: it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, You would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awaits.